This is Superman Forever Radio, Episode 4. This week we continue looking at the death and return of Superman with Funeral for a Friend. Plus, Doomsday will reign again in 2011. Brett Ratner concedes to Zack Snyder. And Cat Grant is in trouble, and who does she call? Supergirl. Hello everyone, welcome back to Superman Forever Radio. As usual, I'm your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder, also known as Super Dave to some. And before we jump into the show, there's a couple things I'd like to address. Firstly, last week I mentioned that the link to the Clan of the Fiery Cross Adventures of Superman radio episodes would be in the show notes. Obviously it wasn't. The reason why is because I, when I double-checked the link right before posting the episode, that link had been removed. And I am very sorry for that. And I was unable to really find it anywhere else. So I will keep searching, and if I come across it, I will make sure to post it in future episode notes. Now, secondly, I've been watching the numbers on the downloads, and I am surprised that I have any listeners at all. Um, mainly because when I decided to start this show, I didn't know if there would be any listeners. Uh, it's such a niche, you know, within one character on comics, you know, specific so for those of you that are listening and sticking around, I thank you, and I'm, I'm going to do the best show I can, just like I started out with. I just wanted to do the the show I would want to hear as a Superman fan and try to cover as many bases as possible. And uh, on that note, also, December will be Origin Month. We'll basically be looking at the variations between the many origin stories and look beyond that to uh, Siegel and Schuster and... Uh, a lot of the things that inspired Siegel and Schuster, some of the material you may not be aware of. So we do have a lot to cover this week. Lots of news crackulating. We're sitting on top of the story of the century here. Did I really just say crackulating? I don't know what comes out of my mouth sometimes. Well, uh, you know, the lawsuit between the Siegels and the Schusters is moving forward. The ironically named U.S. District Judge Otis D. Wright is presiding over it and has lifted the delay, allowing it to go ahead and go into deposition mode. Now, if the Seagulls do win, Warner Brothers and DC Comics could lose key copyrights to the Man of Steel, which could result in the character being piecemealed between two parties or leaving the DC Universe for good. Now, my understanding of the case is it's not Superman as a whole, but uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, Seagull and Schuster sold initially, because a lot of copyrights like Perry White... Daily Planet, uh, the current version of the S symbol, the Spit Curl, that all came later. So it would be more core stuff. I know the origin of Krypton is involved. Superboy is involved. It's just a matter of sorting through this. And at the same time, the suit, uh, the countersuit against uh, the Seagulls attorney, Mark, Mark Toberoff, claiming he wrongfully advised the Seagulls to sue based on his own personal gain, that is also still continuing. So being a Superman fan right now is a lot like being caught between a, two, a pair of fighting parents, really. But for right now, everything is proceeding as normal in terms of the comics and the development of the reboot movie. And actually, last Thursday, DC Comics official blog The Source posted a picture of the famous Bloody Superman logo and the words Doomsday Will Reign. I didn't touch upon that because we basically spent the whole weekend not knowing what it meant. That was literally all that was out there. 
There was a ton of speculation, so I avoided it last week, although it would have been ironically timed. But uh, after a lot of that speculation, DC finally let us know that, yes, Doomsday is indeed returning in January's one-shot, Steel Number 1. And that story will continue through Outsiders number 37, Justice League of America number 55, and Superboy number 6 before ending in an unannounced title. Now, if the recent Supergirl annual, which I briefly reviewed last week, is any indication, the story will probably involve the Legion of Superheroes and Supergirl pretty heavily. Meanwhile, Brett Ratner, who was at one time attached to direct a Superman movie before moving on to the X-Men and being replaced by X-Men director Brian Singer, admitted a little envy of Zack Snyder, who's the new director of the tentative Superman reboot, for those of you that don't know. Now, Ratner had spent a year in pre-production on a Superman movie before the budget and casting conflicts forced him off the project. If I remember correctly, he wanted to do an unknown, and the Warner Brothers wanted to do Josh Hartnett. Talk about dodging bullets. And the director actually added, you know, it's a dream of mine to make a Superman movie, but admitted, and I quote, I think Zack was a good choice, an interesting choice. I'm going to let the first, I'm going to be the first one in line to see that movie. I can't wait. And speaking of Superman reboot, which looks more and more likely to actually be called the Man of Steel, casting has begun according to Deadline.com. Now reportedly, uh, Christopher Nolan and Zack Snyder are casting a wide net, looking for an unknown or a TV actor in the age range of 26 to 32. Now I'm 33, so that knocks me out of the running. Also, the lack of chiseled muscles or uh, height at 5'8". So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take my hat out of that ring. And uh, also in other news, does anybody have a spare 500000 to a million dollars? Because then you could actually own the original art to Superman number 14. Now you may remember this. This is the Fred Ray cover where Superman standing in front of a patriotic shield with an eagle perched on his arm. And it was also replicated on... Uh, the first burn era adventures of Superman issue and also Superman's tomb when he died. Now it's actually going to auction, uh, being listed by a legendary Batman artist, Jerry Robinson. And it's actually available to bid on at www.comicconnect.com. And the link will actually be in the show notes. And something I'm excited about that I can actually afford is Mattel finally announced the release date for their Christopher Reeve 12 inch movie masters figure. It'll hit on December 15th, and he's actually going to come with uh, multiple hands, a the podium, and uh, memory crystals. And he'll stand. He'll be ready to take on the already released General Zod figure, which used to sit on my desk, so I would have that glare to uh, get me back to work. And uh, March of 2011, we'll see a Gene Hackman Lex Luthor added to the line. This is awesome because he comes with multiple hair pieces, a kryptonite and a chain, and a map of Lexifornia. I have not seen or confirmed whether or not it includes Otisburg. And meanwhile, uh, DC Direct has the All-Star Superman animated maquette slated for March of 2011. And the maquette is sculpted by Steve Kiewis and measures about nine and a quarter inches high and six and a half inches wide. Now this is not based on Frank Quietly's Quietly's comic book version, but it's actually based on the design for the animated uh, DVD movie due out in June. And if you're going to Hollywood anytime soon, Superman looks to be on the Hollywood Boulevard again, panhandling. The uh, There was an injunction put in that had banned against the uh, order ordinance that had banned the superheroes and other costume characters 
from panhandling on the boulevard over by Man's Chinese Theater. So the superheroes are back at panhandling. And you know what? I think I'd be more inclined to give the Hulk or Superman a buck than the uh, standard homeless person or semi-homeless. I don't know. Maybe that shows a, a level of shallowness to myself. But hey, that's how I roll. And uh, actually, I've got three books to review this week, so we better get a move on here. Um, uh, before we do, before we go into the topic, Funeral for a Friend, I do want to give you this week's top five list. This week's top five, straight from the home office in the back room of the Asa Clubs, are is the five, top five ways for Superman to blow off Aquaman. And these are, t- you know, things to say for those late night calls in the Fortress of Solitude. When Aquaman just wants to talk about his feelings of inadequacy and tell him you got a date night with Lois just isn't cutting it. These are some uh, some phrases you could use to fend him off. So beginning with number five, just tell him that the two of you can hug it out over some red lobster. Number four, you're catching up on old episodes of the deadliest catch. Number three, not now. The walking dead is on. Number two, can you get a sitter at this late notice? Oh, right. And the number one way to blow off Aquaman? Sure, I just got a huge shipment of silicone packets and I need somebody to help me test them out. Now last week, uh, Travis Pyle and I looked back 18 years to the death of Superman in in Superman issue number 75. And this week it's the aftermath, Funeral for a Friend. Now this story ran through Adventures of Superman 498 and 499, Action Comics 685 and 686, Superman 76 and 77, Superman the Man of Steel 20 through 21, and Justice League America number 70. And this story followed the many reactions to Superman's demise, and Travis returns this week to look at a world without Superman. I think that one of the things that really stands out for Funeral for a Friend was that it was longer than the death itself. And I don't think it got as much reaction as the death because after that, I mean, definitely sales, drew, you know, grew on the books, but it wasn't the phenomenon. No, and certainly wouldn't be the phenomenon that Reign of the Superman was. But there were some moments that just floored me in that. I was uh, listening to an interview with Louise Simonson where she was talking about when Mon Pa Kent couldn't go to the funeral. Right. So they buried some of Clark's stuff in the meteor, and I actually found myself getting choked up again. <laughs> the what I what I found most fascinating was just the reaction of like the fellow Justice Leaguers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you would think that they would all be back business as usual, especially Batman. Yeah, you know because he's you know he's got a one track mind, but yet in a way it's almost like their lives were kind of on hold. Oh, yeah. It was a dead stop. Yeah. And I think the opening scenes where they're trying to revive Superman really bothered me because, I mean, they couldn't do any, they couldn't do CPR because his lungs were like steel traps. They couldn't right. use defibrillators because they would burn out the things. How do you, how would you, it, it, I don't know why it was disturbing to me, but it was. It was grotesque a little bit. And, yeah, and, and it, it meant to be. Right. Uh, I think I think you would kind of equate it with the uh, the feeling of helplessness that yeah. Lois must have had watching her fiance beat to death. Well, now they're trying to revive him, trying to trying to keep him from dying, 
and there's nothing you can do. No. I mean, I mean, they kind of alluded to it a little bit in Superman Returns, where they couldn't put the needles in his arm. Right. I mean, it was it was dire, and the reaction was pretty quick. I mean, it was all over the city, and I remember actually feeling devastated by it because I, I believe there was a gap between when I read the death and then when I went into a funeral for a friend. I've got bits and pieces. I, I read bits and pieces when I could pick them up. Um, in fact, I didn't read the whole funeral for a friend until a year, you know, a year or two ago. It, it, it's, it's, it was weird to look and see like the, the newspaper clippings that, you know, that they put in there, you know, if I, it's been a while since I've read it, so I'm a little rusty, but That's okay. did, did well, they you... talk about like crime rising? Almost immediately you know? too. Yeah. Well, you you hit on the Justice League and Batman. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the scene where Batman has his moment? He's looking at the ring, the kryptonite ring. He's like, you know, I really don't need it. I should just get rid of it. But he trusted me, and I can't do it. Right. When Batman is choked up, something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. And the funeral storyline actually featured a couple of moments in comic history. Uh, a lot of... Buzz was made when Barack Obama appeared in uh, Amazing Spider-Man after being elected. Yeah. The entire death and uh, funeral were immediately following the election and the inauguration of Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton Mm -hmm. actually appeared at the funeral. Yes. Not a lot of, you know, a lot of press for that. Whereas today, Barack Obama appears in Spider-Man and it was off the charts. Right. Yeah. And I remember I really felt like I was mooring along with this story because they kept pointing out little things and flashbacks. Yeah. Well, like, you know, you're talking about the Clintons, you know, and it's, you know, Bill Clinton's there talking about how people should, you know, carry themselves. It was a good good speech. Very Clinton-esque. Right. Yeah, and it's it's like though it's like whenever a family member passes away, and you know it's bad enough, you know that they're gone and you're in mourning, but people start talking about how great they were, and 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 how you know and it, and it just I think it makes that hole inside you feel bigger. Yeah, you know what I mean. And they did a, the the creative team did a fantastic job of it. You definitely felt it in certain parts and. I remember being really bothered also by the scene where after the body was stolen from the tomb, uh-huh. they rolled, you know, they rolled up on it in, in Cadmus and Supergirl's holding it with the cape draped over it. Oh, right. that was just, Ooh, I don't know why it bothered me so much. It was maybe a bit much. Well, it was like, it was like a desecration. Yeah, exactly. It was, yeah. You know, here... You know, let's think about it in terms of if you if you lived in this world, you got you have a guy who is Earth's greatest hero, and you've got a group of people who are not even. It's not. It's only been like a couple of days. The shock hasn't worn off yet. You got a world of people in mourning because their hero has been has been killed and all they care about is what can we get from him yeah 
let's take the body, let's try to, you know, and it's just, it's, it's grotesque yeah. is what it is. Yeah, that, that was horrid. Yeah. Although I did have one beef with the story when I thought about it. Mm-hmm. Superman's tomb. And you nailed it. Right. It was only supposed to be a couple of days within, within a week or so. How did they build that tomb in the park that fast? <laughs> right. I mean, this giant statue of Superman with the eagle is set up almost instantaneously. Yeah. And it may have been, you know, if you think about it, though, Funeral for a Friend, it seems like, takes place around Christmas time, right? Yeah, it was supposed to be, it was winter time. Right. So, you know, it, you know, it may have been, I guess it could have been possible that that it had been more than a couple of days, but still, you know, you mentioned in the last episode, you know, you know, talking about Michael Jackson mm-hmm. dying, you know, that was in the news for months. Yeah. After that. Well, it was in the news. So, it's still in the news occasionally. Right. So, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, enough time, there would ever be enough time for, the government to swoop in and take his, or Cadmus, or whoever it was, I can't remember now, take his body, but still, you know, it doesn't matter how long. It's just, you know, that's just, that was just, that was just grotesque that, that they would, you know, they, they looked at it as, they're almost like they looked at it as a weapon. Oh, yeah. You know, we need this, we need this person in our lives, but yet, if we do it right, we can control him. Yeah. And, of course, they played on that in Superman Doomsday. They just placed it in Luthor's hand. Right. But uh, the funeral procession, was one of the moments that just floored me, it was another Batman moment where there, there's a crime happening right off, the in an alley right off the procession. Mm-hmm. And Batman just snatches it up like, you're not messing up this day. He snatches up the robber. Right. right. And you saw where all the heroes were like, we're going to take care of Superman's turf. Yep. And then you had Bibbo. Bibbo's one of my favorite side characters. Just kicking everybody out of the bar and just having his moment where he just breaks down and cries. Because there's this big yeah. lug of a guy who, who's, you know, Superman's his favorite. And I can't, I, I, you'd have to see it written. Favorite. <laughs> right. You mean where, he's, uh, where he goes into his bar that he owns and he gets on his knees and he's praying? Yep. And saying, you know, why couldn't it... And I think maybe we've all felt that way probably at some time or other. You know, why couldn't why couldn't it be me instead of, you know, this person? Yeah. Why why could you you know why couldn't you take me instead of, of him? And that you was know, the world the world doesn't need me, they need the world needs him kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean the storyline was definitely quieter than the death or uh, the actual doomsday. But there were really poignant moments. Pa Kent was one of them where, yeah. you know, he was holding it in so long that at the end, you know, he finally just breaks and has a heart attack. Right. And that was, I mean, they played on some real emotions there. And for a, a superhero comic, there wasn't a lot of superheroing going on. No. And it was, that was as it should be. Yes. But yeah. You, but so it was just, you know, as far as the storyline and overall, the death, you know, funeral and return. They definitely played it right where they had a somber note. They it really looked like they were closing out some chapters too. I think this yeah. was that was the part of the storyline where I'm like maybe they're not bringing them back that soon. <laughs> Cuz if you remember right. the storyline ended and, and the books went on hiatus. 
an un yeah. you know undis you know undetermined length, and that's when I think it really felt really real. I mean, as far as as close to real as comics can get, right? Because they just I think the thing that I remember was when you first go into the tomb and the body's gone. Oh yeah, was was I think I was I think there was a part of me that was thinking, ooh, well, maybe he's maybe he's back, maybe you know. And then they just drug it out even longer that, no, you know, it was almost like it wasn't as, as, as impactful as like the death, but it was almost like when you, when the tomb was empty and you think, oh, he's, he's, he's come back. And then you, like you, you mentioned, uh, Supergirl holding the body with the cape draped over it. Yeah. It was almost like he died all over again. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was the weakest of the three storylines in terms of, of actual story beats, but as far as emotion, that one nailed it. Did you ever have, you you mentioned last week that you, that you bought the issue 75. Right. Did you have the black armband? I, we, my brother and I, yes, we did. Okay. Did you actually wear them? I didn't, but my brother, he was, he was enrolled in, uh, in college at the time I, I mentioned last week. He wore it to class the next day on his arm in mourning. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I couldn't get the... I, I remember having a pin, and it wasn't even a full-on pin. It was a fold-over thing, and I wore that right. for the first week. Right. And it seemed like... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I don't remember. Like I said, you know, I I don't usually get, you know too uh, emotional over over you know fictional characters so I don't remember you know it, it never even crossed my mind really to, to wear the armband but you know being in high school at the time you probably couldn't have got away with it as easy as like my brother could in college but yeah he definitely he definitely wore it he rocked the the armband that that next day which is totally cool and one more moment in this story that stood out. I mean, there were a handful of them, but one moment was when the body was recovered, put back in the tomb, mm -hmm. and Lex Luthor Jr., a.k.a. the original Lex Luthor, cloned, says, can I have a moment to pray? And he just slams it down. And he's like, I gotcha. Yeah. I also like Luthor being angry that he wasn't the one to kill him. That yeah. that, that was why he was so mad at Doomsday was he, Superman was his to kill. Right. Well, what I find interesting, and what I would recommend to, to anybody that listens to this podcast is read Lex Luthor, Man of Steel. Oh yes. You know it's 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 a it's a newer story, but it, you talk about you know how later on they fleshed out the Doomsday character. This explains where Luthor comes from. Luthor sees himself as the savior of humanity from, like, aliens like Superman or, you know, people that he feels interfere with the human race's natural evolution. So, of course he would be bummed. Oh, yeah. That he wasn't the one. He wants to, he wants to be the savior of the human race. And then the, the Lex Luthor Man of Steel was recently reprinted in, in a form in trade format as just Luthor. Yes. But yeah, it definitely that shed some light on Luthor. And even though I thought the Lex Luthor Jr. 
storyline was kind of corny. It played out really well there. Yeah. Because you could have him arranging the funeral. He wanted to make sure he buried him. If I can't kill you, I'm going to bury you. Right. And that was right. just, that was how depraved Luthor was. Plus, it was a way for him to exploit the situation. Oh, come of course. Out looking, come out looking like the good guy. And of course, I remember him picking up the goop that was Supergirl and being really disturbed by it because they were in a relationship at the time. Yes. And with this whole death and rebirth, you know, I'd been out of the books for a couple of years. I think the last thing I'd read was time and time again. So there was a lot of changes to get used to. Uh, Supergirl and Lex Luthor Jr. being a, cu- a couple of all things. Right. And they had done a lot of world building since I had been gone. And this storyline actually marked the first appearance of Ron Troop. Now, who, who refresh my memory. Who is Ron Troop? Um, he would go on to marry Lucy Lane. He's the African-American reporter that Lois finds on the, you know, sitting at Clark's desk. Okay. And just, you know, the silhouette. And he would end up really becoming a semi-important character before dropping off. Right. So, yeah, this the storyline marked the first appearance of him and Gangbuster returned to, to action. For those that yes. like the early, I always liked Gangbuster, but... As far as I knew, he had gotten his back broken at one point, and I've yet to connect exactly how he got back to walking. I'd have to go back and look that up, because I have a lot of the old issues, I just haven't gone back to read them in sequence. Right, yeah, and see, that's I'm, I'm a little bit rusty, too. Um, I, tell you, I, tell you, I will tell you one thing that, that's, that stuck in my mind was Tim Drake, Robin. Mm-hmm. When I think I think that was one of the most human moments for me, anyway. It's one I could relate to, being somebody who's who's always kind of struggled with self confidence issues when they're on the roof of the Daily Planet, mm-hmm. and he's talking about he says some of the effect of you know, I'm man, not... I would I, I would like to say something too, you know, Superman meant a lot to me, but you know, I'm not you know. I'm obviously I'm paraphrasing. I'm doing a horrible job, but yeah. he's like, I'm not even in the same league. I'll just sound stupid. I'm not even in the same league with these guys. And I, yeah, I've felt that way. You know, I've had friends die where I really just didn't. I I wanted to say something. I wanted to do something, but I just felt like I didn't have the right words. Right. And that's and that sticks out in my mind because you know, I can relate to I can relate to how he feels. Yeah. Well, the one, the thing I just, the memory that stands out the most was right before in the last issue, part eight of the storyline in Superman number 77, the cover is Superman flying towards the sun, flying through right. the clouds. And it was a cover by Dan Jurgens, And it really struck home that that was the end. He was going to the next level because they, three months in real time is, is, I mean, that's a long time. Yeah. And these books have been in circulation since, you know, to pretty much monthly since 1938. This is the first major hiatus. Right. And, you know, we didn't have the Internet. We had speculation, you know, amongst fanboys, but it was just up in the air and it really felt like he, he was gone. Yes. And, of course, we know he's a, he's a fictional character, but it was well written enough where you felt that emotion. And that cover yeah. was sort of the epitome of that storyline for me where it really was going through the process of denial and then finally acceptance. And that was the moment I accepted it. Right. And of course, three months later, that would start the reign of the Superman, which we will talk about next week.
And Funeral for a Friend is collected in trade form under the title World Without Superman, which is not to be confused with the Monel uh, slash Nightwing and Flamebird storyline collected in the new Krypton volumes. That's where you can find those. So as I mentioned earlier, three of the core Superman titles hit this week. And I'm going to hit them all beginning with Supergirl number 58 by Sterling Gates and Jamal Igle. Now, in this issue, Supergirl must help Cat Grant uncover the mystery, which seems to be involved the Toy Man. Now, if anybody remembers, Cat Grant and the Toy Man don't go together. Uh, that reach, reaches all the way back to Cat uh, Grant's history, back to the death of her son Adam at, a toy, at the hands of a Toy Man doll back in Superman number 84. That is Superman Volume 2. <clears throat> now, I've always liked Cat in the right hands. Marv Wolfman... And uh, Jerry Ordway did a great job with her. Uh, they filtered in some backstory, you know, about her divorce and about her son. And she just kind of went eh, a little off the grid for a while. But when Sterling Gates brought her back on on Supergirl, man, did that was that a good fit? And I'm actually kind of really sad that the team is actually leaving the book. Next issue, uh, 59, will be the last issue for them. And I've always liked uh, I Go Supergirl. She's sporty and sleek without being too smutty with the design. And a lot of this issue takes place in Metropolis and during the winter, which is always one of the best ways I like to see Metropolis drawn, because somehow it makes this big, huge city seem really intimate, and you can almost hear the, you know, the quiet of the snowfall. Now this issue, uh, it lays a great you know, look back, a lot of groundwork on, the, on Cat Grant's character, to the attitude that Cat's been uh, carrying going back 20 issues back to uh, Sterling, the beginning of Sterling Gates' run. And the Toy Man has never been creepier than the last few years when they kind of cut on to the pseudo-pedophile aspect of the character, which, you know, I don't entirely agree with, but at the same time, if the shoe fits, right? Now, this issue, uh, Jamal Zeigel's art was fantastic. The story is the first of two parts. And it felt like, you know, not a lot happened besides setting up for next issue. So this story is going to get three S-Shields out of four out of five, while the art's going to go ahead and get four S-Shields out of five. And uh, if, if Sterling Gates and Jamal Igle ever listen to this podcast, uh, you, you, you're welcome back at Supergirl at any time, because even through the whole new Krypton fiasco, this book was solid. It was always a great book to read. And I really hope that, you know, the new team continues to make it that Superman book of them that I look forward to each month. Well, kind of. I kind of like to not cringe when I open up Superman, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Another great book this week was Superman Batman number 78, much to my surprise. This has been three issues in a row that have been solid, um, all the way back to 75, so I guess that would be four issues. But normally this book is so hit or miss in the last few years, and stories are maybe, maybe not in continuity. They've never been solid on that. But uh, this issue actually features the uh, uh, primary story by Joe Kelly and Jack Kelly, writers, and drawn by Ed Bennis. And this story actually gets four S-Shields out of five on both uh, story and art. Uh, it features Batman versus Superman in the Battle of the Century, but not in the way you think. It's two friends debating, uh, just as any other fanboy you or I would be, on who would win. Uh, it's it's just a fun format. Joe Kelly is so I love Joe Kelly when he when he touches on Superman, and Ed Bennis gives us some great visuals uh, to this. You know, kind of whatever debate we would see, this is a great way to have it played out with you know, Ed Bennis art. 
And for a book that has been hit or missed, this is such fresh air. Now, there's also a Power Girl and Huntress backup story by Amanda McMurray and Britt Booth. Now, the story gets three S-Shields out of five, while the art also gets four S-Shields out of five. And uh, uh, in this issue, the Power Girl and the Huntress actually team up to kind of help a lost alien who's crashed to Earth. And you find out that kind of reflects more Kara, but I guess Elena kind of, uh, you know, acknowledges her loneliness, having lost her parents. She didn't lose an entire universe of people, but I like that, you know, that this story took a good look at the two characters and framed it well within a uh, common sympathizer in the alien. And this was just such a good issue overall. And man, did Brett Booth's art look good. He draws a phenomenal power girl and a great uh, huntress. And it was just good to put Superman and Batman on my must read list again. So I'm thankful for this issue and I hope for many more because this book started out such a powerhouse and then, well, then it became one of those that happens books. Uh, Speaking of Superman number 705 by J. Michael Straczynski and Eddie Barrows hit. And there is something wrong in the world when you feel a little cringe, you know, open up your comics and there's an issue of Superman and that's what happened with Superman number 705. The story, and it seems like I'm being really hard on Straczynski, but I know Straczynski is a good writer. I'm a, I was a big Babylon 5 fan. I loved Rising Stars. I thought his, most of his Spider-Man run was good. It's just something's happened to his A-game, and he's just not bringing it. He's phoning these in. So the story's getting two S-Shields out of five, and here's why. I was really actually enjoying this issue, much to my surprise. And in this issue, Superman enters Chicago, and there was some nice uh, Lois Superman romantic banter as they meet up at a hotel and the plot was thickening Uh, there's a lot of superman leeriness as he hits the uh, city which was set up the previous issue and uh, the locals are a little bit afraid of him and there was a strange female character who can uh, seems to be able to hurt clark via his dreams and there's also a subplot you know where i was actually really beginning to feel a lot of sympathy for the, the abused kid who wants nothing more than to just welcome Superman to town and uh, finds himself locked in a basement by the father. And, you know, I was even fine with, you know, the way the story was going until we got to the end and Superman practically breaks the fourth wall and delivers a speech on domestic abuse. Like the old episodes of Masters of the Universe where they'd give you the lesson or G.I. Joe where knowing's half the battle. If you want to use Superman as a vehicle for social uh, awareness... That's fine. He's there for that. But don't make it blatant. We know any good writer, especially in a visual medium like comics, can show better than tell. So having Superman have a long diatribe about how it's up to everybody else to notice and do something about domestic abuse, while I agree with the sentiment, not the place, not the manner that it should have been presented. Up until that moment, the literally the last half of the last page, I was in. I was like, okay, this book's going to come out of it. And he killed it for me, which, you know, just brought a lot more broken, heart, you know, heartbreak to me. If JMS really needs to put the, these idea out, ideas out there in such a blatant format, get a blog. That's all I have to say. Now, Eddie Barrow's art, you know, it uh, it does the job, but I don't like the facial expressions he puts on Superman. Looks like he's ate too much cheese and he's sitting on a toilet. It just doesn't work for me. So I'm... But at the same time, a lot of the colors chosen here were good. So overall, the art gets three S-Shields out of five. 
And you know, I'm I'm trying to do the best podcast I can and really try to get some guests on to uh, enrich the Superman universe, people who have touched it, creators, uh, many other things. And sometimes, you know, in that attempt, you just fail. <clears throat> Maybe I just fail. I mean, some of them, it may be location, uh, kind of like this interview. There we go. Can you state your name for the for the record? Salt. I want to thank you for being, you know, on my show and coming to eat lunch with me. And uh, oh, it looks like uh, did you did you order the chicken? I see you are practiced in worshiping things that fly. Oh, I I just asked if you ordered the chicken. Rise before Zod. What you want me to go get your food? Look, the waiter is on his way. Who is this imbecile? Where is he? Look, if you want, I can go get the waiter. I mean, if it's going to save lives. It will. Starting with your own. No. Need. Okay, okay. I I think it's better if I just leave and uh, you enjoy your lunch. It's on me. Nero before Zod! And then now with the yelling. Okay, this interview is over. And that's how that ended. And another interview I tried to do was uh, Clarence. Now, astute fans know Clarence from Superman the movie and the brief scene he was in. But uh, from here on in, you're going to remember him for this riveting interview that went nowhere. Hey, Clarence, I'm really glad you could be here. So what was it like being on the set with Christopher Reeve? Was Richard Donner easy to work with? Did you get to meet Gene Hackman? What did you think the first time you saw Christopher Reeve in the costume? That's a bad outfit. And I'm throwing up the spoilers sign. I am actually going to be talking about Smallville tonight and the latest episode. And it just dawned on me this week that after three episodes, I still haven't really done anything. I haven't talked about Smallville. That is completely by accident. And I'm actually going to rectify that tonight by talking about the latest episode in the final, tenth and final season, entitled Patriot. And this episode, Aquaman, aka AC, and his new wife, Mara, show up, blow up a tanker, and, uh, well, the Vigilante Registration Act has passed, which Oliver feels he needs to volunteer for, primarily to keep Clark from doing it. And, of course, it's a trap. Now, this episode is one of the weakest episodes. They introduce Slade, a.k.a. Deathstroke, in the comics, but he doesn't really come across as Deathstroke. Deathstroke's supposed to be one of the smartest people on the planet, tactically. I mean, even Batman kind of cringes a little. And that's not what we see here. And I'm fine with small changes of continuity. This is just a little bit too far. Uh, there's no mercenary uh, attitude, no goatee, which, yeah, actually does kind of bother me. And, of course, you know, the main feature of Deathstroke is the eye patch, which does get addressed in the episode. Now, I'm finding the, the final season where we see the actual progression into Superman, it's been good, but not great. I had, I guess, higher than normal expectations after the phenomenal season 9 and the really good season 8. And I really thought we were going to see more of Clark's evolution, but... Really, the precedent they're setting is Clark just keeps doubting himself again and again and again. And it gets tiresome. It really does. And, I mean, this whole show, I remember season one. And granted, season one was the most repetitive thing on the planet. Relatively self-contained episodes, freak of the week. But it had a charm to it. You know, you could see the future and it, I, I, it made me feel a little bit hopeful. And at this point, you know, I, I think season two really dipped a little... But not bad. It started myth building the mythology. Season 3 was kind of the same thing. And you 
you know, you certainly had Christopher Reeve coming in as Dr. Swan, which was awesome. And then season four started really teetering. And season five and six and seven really was when I checked out of the show. And uh, it wasn't until season eight that I actually checked back in and decided, okay, this is worth a watch again. And it's been progressively great. This episode shows, you know, how quickly a season can teeter. Because we've had some so-so episodes. I mean, there was the awesome 200th episode this year. And uh, there was the great well, mediocre episode with the great ending where Clark finally revealed his secret to Lois. But really, uh, we're really stretching out a story across 22 episodes of the year that doesn't need to be stretched out that far. And the dark changes they're making to Dark Side, I'm intrigued because it really does remind me of Final Crisis. But at the same time, once again, a little tiresome. When are we actually going to see Dark Side? Now, this Friday, upcoming Friday is the uh, episode entitled Luthor, which looks like we're getting back into the main story. Um, you have Clark's uh, progression to Superman, maybe on a C story. They're, they've been doing a lot with Tess Mercer and the clone. It's jumping around. It's really bad because they're not tracking characters. Where's the Lex Luthor clone? We haven't seen him for like two episodes. And then last week, spoiler again, Tess found out she's actually Lena Luthor, but this week, no recognition of that at all. It feels like, you know, where the t continuity was tight last year and followed a fairly cohesive storyline, this is all over the place, and this past episode really just gets a, a C-. Uh, there was no real depth to Aquaman or Mira, and Slade uh, is being set up as a new baddie, but really, by the end of the episode, I just didn't care. Now, I do plan on doing a full Smallville retrospective before the end of the season, and that should be sometime in February or March. I'd have to look at the schedule. And from here on in, I shall be touching upon Smallville. Now, my recording schedule can vary. So there will be episodes where maybe I didn't get to see the episode in time to get this posted. So I will at least touch on something to do with it, if, even if it's not a review. But keep in mind, the winter hiatus is coming up. So that means, you know, we are almost to the home stretch. And hopefully, you know, the second half of the season... Really, they realize they can take the kids' gloves off and really full speed ahead with this thing because I really think they are going to pull it out of this. And it's not a bad episode or bad season, just a little too spread out. They kind of need to tighten it up, and I think we'll see that in the second half. And that's actually going to do us uh, for this week's episode of Superman Forever Radio. And uh, I do want to thank everybody for listening, and I want to give a special shout out to Sparkles and Shannon. You know who you are. And, of course, you can always uh, reach me by email at, at mail at supermanforever.com. And you can always visit supermanforever.com to see me there. And, of course, you can actually call in and leave a voicemail for the show at 703-95-SUPER, which is 703-957-8737, which you'll find on the sidebar at supermanforever.com. Now, this upcoming week is Thanksgiving holiday, so everybody be safe out there. Drive carefully, watch out for everybody, and be thankful for the things you have. I'm thankful for the listeners. I'm thankful to have this podcast. I'm thankful for uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster for creating a character that I've loved for, for the bulk of my life. And uh, if there's anything you're thankful of, you know, make sure you uh, express that. All right, that's the touchy-feely portion of the show. Um, there will be an episode next Sunday. And I'm actually going to 
uh, not pick up my book this week. Uh, I think the only thing coming out Superman-wise is Action Comics. So next week I'll do a couple of retro reviews. I think I'm going to touch on the first Brainiac story and the first Bizarro story. And we'll finish up our uh, Death and Return coverage or retrospective with The Reign of the Supermen, which I think you're going to enjoy the, the thought process we put into that one. And until then, you know, keep the never-ending battle going. I will see you next Sunday. Superman and all related characters are copyright DC Comics and Warner Brothers.